everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tales from a Vet Tech with me, Tabitha Kusera. I am so stoked today. We have Mara, who is the executive director of both the Shelter Playgroup Alliance and Humane Dog Training Advocates. We're going to be talking to her all about enrichment, behavior in the shelter setting, and what we can do to help give the animals life skills that they need to help them not only be adopted, but to stay in their homes. Enrichment is one of my favorite things because, of course, we need to not only meet the physical well being of animals, but the mental well being. And enrichment allows us to do that. It improves their quality of life, it decreases stress and boredom, it can help manage and prevent behavior problems, it increases adoptions. I can go on and on and on about why enrichment is so important. And the Shelter Playgroup Alliance is an amazing free resource that provides animal welfare organizations with education, guidelines, and support materials for developing and implementing comprehensive enrichment programs. I know in the shelter world, just like the vet world, because I'm in, involved in both, sometimes it can you can feel pretty lonely, and especially with some of these behavior cases, which is commonly why animals are being relinquished to the shelter in the first place, you kind of feel stuck and don't know what to do and don't have a lot of resources. And I'll be honest, the few resources that are out there, even from some of the larger animal organizations are pretty outdated and kind of promoting inhumane training protocols, which unfortunately, as you guys can imagine, results in more animals being relinquished, more animals being euthanized and humans being affected too, because we all want what's best for animals. So I am so stoked to share this conversation I had with Mara. She'll also be talking about their upcoming Shelter Playgroup Alliance's conference in June, which I am speaking at. I'm talking about low stress handling of cats and dogs. I know everyone's surprised. Uh, one of my favorite topics, but enjoy the interview, you guys. everybody. I am so excited today. We have Mara Valles here with us to talk about all things Shelter Playgroup Alliance and some of the other awesome things that she is doing. Welcome, Mara. Hi, Tabitha. So excited to be here. Thank you for being here. We could talk about behavior forever, but we'll keep it as short as we can today. So to get started, Mara, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your current and past roles in animal welfare and other fields? Yeah. So I am currently the executive director of the Shelter Playgroup Alliance. And so Shelter Playgroup Alliance, which we will hereafter refer to as just spa, (laughs) but not the kind where you get a massage. So that is uh, an educational nonprofit that is geared toward teaching folks in shelters um, how to do enrichment altogether. So multi-pronged enrichment. And also as one of the enrichment strategies, run safe and effective playgroups that adhere to the least intrusive, minimally aversive ethical standard, which we commonly refer to as LIMA. Um, the other thing that I do have another nonprofit called Maine Dog Training Advocates. Um, again, <laughs> I'm like the mistress of uh, acronyms. <laughs> so that one will be referred to hereafter as HTTA. <laughs> 
Um, so HTT is on the owner side of the fence. So we're trying to provide services both to shelters and to adopters and educating folks on how to interact with animals in safe and humane ways. So um, Humane Dog Training Advocates has, we have a program for um, folks who are um, not able to afford training assistance. So it is a surrender prevention program. So we provide grants um, every year as much as we can with whatever funds we have and pay trainers from you know wherever to uh, service our grantees. So we're aiming at uh, helping resolve some of those behavior problems for folks who can't afford a private trainer and keep those dogs out of the shelter. Yay, pet retention, everybody. This is where yeah. I would love to see everyone in animal welfare go because sometimes it doesn't feel like that is happening um and sometimes it's as simple as here's a few sessions with a trainer i'm just going to tell you about why the dog is acting this way how you can understand them instead of create narratives and shame them and maybe use some unethical training things that they saw on the internet or tv or a lot of the times these dogs just need physical and mental outlets and the caregivers were just not aware they just thought the dog sleeps and they don't need mental and physical enrichment except for like dog walks, which some dogs are not a huge fan of dog walks for a lot of reasons. So that is no. so awesome. Do you guys have services throughout all the states or are you guys focus mostly on California right now where you're from? Anywhere. So um, at present, we have uh, a grantee in Florida. Uh, we previously had one in Colorado and we've had several in um, California. The only caveat is that I got to know somebody who can service them. So um, building the that trainer, relationship, yeah, with trainers. Yeah. yeah. So thankfully, I know lots of trainers across the U.S. <laughs> in all of my travels. Um, so I fortunately have trainers that are, um, that I have seen them train. Um, I know what their ex level of expertise is and I know the right, um, clients to send their way. So we are not restrictive. Um, and then, uh, for, you know, several folks, uh, distance, um, sessions have been the way to go. So we were not restrictive to just California or just the San Francisco Bay area, which is where I'm located. Awesome. I'm here in sunny Oakland, California. It's sunny today in Ohio. You guys, we're going to take it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you what the week has been like. Tara. I know. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> so what, what are your current and past roles in animal welfare? And I, I have an idea because Mara is an amazing mentor and friend and we've all had the same struggles and some of the things we've been seeing in our field. Uh, but what are the current and past roles in animal welfare that you've done and what brought you to starting these amazing organizations that are very needed? Yeah. So um, like a lot of folks, um, I started out with a difficult dog, <laughs> um, two of them actually. So I had an extremely fearful dog. Her name was Juno. She was a puppy mill breeder. Um, she was in the puppy mill pushing out puppies for about four years. And she taught me a lot of things, not everything about working with shy and fearful dogs, but I made lots of mistakes with her, but also learned a lot. Um, thankfully my, my, um, 
master's degree is in psychology as well as my bachelor's. So I had already kind of started out understanding from a human perspective, um, the concepts of desensitization and counter conditioning. So it wasn't too far from um, what we do with animals, um, except for people are able to tell us when they're over threshold right, <laughs> and dogs observe a lot more dogs are. Yeah. But yeah. We need to, we need to know what those signals are. Yes. Um, so, and then I also had another dog at the same time, um, Romulus who, um, became very reactive to people. So he was not super safe with strangers. So I learned a whole lot of stuff from him on both sides. So I had the fear-based aggression and then just straight fear. Like I run away and hide. Um, so those two things, when I, um, I kind of brought me into like, oh, well, if I can work with these dogs, maybe I could help in a shelter. So came in through the volunteer door. Oh, I love it. Got um, certified, um, did KPA, um, did all, and since subsequently did, done lots of certifications, Never including one of your favorites, the uh, Fear Free. <laughs> um, so then I... Um, was in a role of being a consultant um, staff in uh, an open admission shelter here in California. So it is that, uh, so through the process of being in that, the staff role in the shelter and really building programs, um, that was the kind of gateway to shelter player alliance. Um, and also the gateway to humane dog training advocates because, um, you know, that owner side. So we saw lots of, as when I was a private trainer, I did both. So I did private training, which I no longer do because um, <laughs> running the yes. two nonprofits and then doing my <laughs> other stuff also is just, a, it's enough. <laughs> um, but being on both sides, um, I saw what the impact on people were for um, when we um, adopted out dogs that were really marginal and very difficult to live with, that it would, it, it would be hard for us to argue that they're actually a companion animal. Um, so I saw the impact from the private training side and the amount of money that people will spend and the amount of time that they'll spend um, before they may have to make a heartbreaking decision. So I right. saw that. Um, and then some of those cases were not necessarily shelter animals, but that it was the product of um, the use of shock collars, primarily um, the use of punishment, pretty severe punishment. And then, you know, the things that we often see, which is um, really severe fallout. So, right. you know, aggression um, that is, you know, from shock collars, we get it. We get dogs who are severely shut down. And then if they're afraid to move, they're afraid to do anything. Um, so, you know, some heartbreaking decisions because folks just weren't educated. So that was part of the birth of humane dog training advocates of, you know, we just try to get out there, you know, during, um, uh, spring fairs and such. So every spring and summer, um, in the Bay area, there's a lot of street fairs. So we would set up booths and do a lot of owner education that way. Oh, um, that. So that's how we started of let's, you know, try to help people make decisions because they're not you know, they're not putting a shot collar on their dog or they're not putting a prong collar on their dog because they want to be mean. <laughs> they oh, no. love that animal. Yeah. It's, and they're just learning from somebody that that's the right thing to do. And 
unfortunately, a lot of those trainers just don't know any better either. Right. So, you know, that is, uh, what's the, what's the phrase that Susan says? It's, it's us with less information or different information Yes. Um, to try to, you know, force us into the place of empathy, which is a really good place for us to be. Um, but it also is a place of sadness, right? So we see that, um, making the wrong decisions has an impact quite a bit on the lives of animals. And I think it's, it's interesting because both of us are obviously very empathetic people. And I got into behavior a a little backwards uh, because I was working as veterinary technician, which I still am, but I was seeing like this animal's not coming into the vet. This animal can't get meds. This animal can't get the basic care. And then I started realizing how many, especially cats, but dogs as well, how many animals were losing their life, like these severe tragedies for not just the animals, but like you said, the humans involved who weren't really given the opportunity to have the correct education to help that animal. And they were doing the best with what they knew. And unfortunately, just like anything, like I just got a tattoo today and I was joking with my tattoo artist who I love where I'm like, don't you love how they imitate you on TV shows? (laughs) It's so funny because tattoo art, like tattoo TV shows are just, woo, they bad. And I'm not a tattoo artist and I know that. Um, So I was like the way dog training and veterinary professionals are like the way we're being shown on TV is a lot of those dog trainers with TV shows has zero credentials and like kind of we're just thrown into this role and are following no science based or Lima based training methods. And this is where people are getting their education from. It was really funny because I'm a chatter and this other girl is getting tattooed as well. And I was just talking because I'm me. And we were talking about, because it came up, you guys, when it's your job, it just comes up with everybody. And they were telling me about their cat. And I was like, yeah, it happens in every field where there's like a cultural fog. Again, another Susan Friedman turn. Like there's just a lot of weird stuff to go through. And I was like, I'm like, tattoo artists are imitated on TV really silly. And I'm like, it's like Dr. Pohl. Like he's a horrible vet. He doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't wear gloves prior to surgery. He doesn't do appropriate pain management. And I felt horrible because I didn't know but they were like, oh, we love Dr. Pohl. And I was like, see, exactly. And I was like, I'm not judging you. It's, it was just a fun, like they weren't upset. We laughed about it, but I was like, you're, you, yeah. you think all of what he does is normal. And, and if this is your baseline and you're using that to find other veterinary professionals, you know, that's, that's a really big concern. And we, we are aware of how much of that stuff is out there that the general public through media, through social media is getting exposed to. And I always joke, like, I'm obviously a science-based positive reinforcement trainer and veterinary technician, and I'm extroverted and I know I'm not the majority, but we have to be louder. <laughs> like yeah. we, I mean, we, I'm very kind and bubbly and extroverted versus some of those other people those other people who are mentioning things that may not be as science-based or up-to-date information, they're loud, but usually they're a little aggro. Uh, They're a little angry. Um, So I'm like, hey guys, let's be louder and educate, 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 which is what you're doing with your organizations. And I love Mara. I love everything she does. I'm a bit of a fangirl, but (laughs) I digress. Um, The fangirling goes both ways. (laughs) So you saw all these things that I think a lot of us have seen working in this field. And it's, we've, we were like the kind of people that are like, this is upsetting. People aren't malicious. People are doing the best with what they know, but how can we prevent this in the future? Problem solving. Yay. So you started 
uh, <laughs> both of these amazing organizations. But do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Shelter Playgroup Alliance? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so Shelter Playgroup Alliance started out of um, me trying to figure out some of the best ways to implement enrichment and play groups in the shelter setting. And so there's a different organization that uses methods that you and I would um, <clears throat> never touch um, and puts animals in situations that we would never put them in because we don't flood animals. We are about um, helping animals build confidence through making choices on whether they want to be in a situation or not and about, you know, reinforcing choice and reading body language really well. So unfortunately, there's this, this other organization that sort of violates every Thing. And there's a lot of fights that happen as a result. It's and it makes so, now that we know things, right? Shocking. So we understand this because I think I say this a lot about shelters too, because I do both cat and dog behavior, but I have a lot of cat specific resources. And shelters want information. They want to do better. And I think sometimes they're not empowered as much as maybe in the veterinary field or maybe a different field. And they're not given as much choice, which is also a problem with human and animal learners. Yeah. And like you said, they're the the very they're getting minimal information. So I think and a lot of the information that's out there for them, even from some a larger organizations, which is why I think both of us work so hard to create content, even though it's free and we are working our butts off, but we want the world to be better. <laughs> um Yep. But I think there's very minimal information out there. And even for amazing shelter animal welfare colleagues out there who are doing their best, they're trying to find more information. I mean, as a vet tech, I was trying to find more information about cat behavior. And that's kind of what got me down my path because I couldn't find much. And I have yeah. more access to stuff than most people do with my background. So um, I think the Shelter Playgroup Alliance has been such an amazing resource. And I don't think uh, as many people know about it as they should. So I'm going to scream y'all. Um, <laughs> and it is to your point though, Tabitha, I mean, it really, um, you know, folks go through our program and they're like, wow, I learned so much, even really seasoned, like with years under their belt, positive reinforcement trainers. Right. They send me emails. that are like, wow, I, thought I knew this. And I realized that I didn't know as much as I did. And I was like, wow, but that underscores. So even those are folks who have like done lots of CEUs, they've maintained right. their certifications. Yeah. <laughs> um, but getting really good, accurate information on canine body language, how to do stuff like do cat constructional aggression, how to do lat bat, you know, all the things, um, well, is kind of difficult to come by, especially the body language stuff is really difficult to come by. So there's not very many really well-educated behavior professionals in sheltering. There are lots of folks who are assigned behavior tasks that don't have the, what we would consider the requisite skills to do what they're doing, but they're doing the best. And again, like we keep on coming back to this, 
they're doing the best they can with what they have. And it's, you know, a, a lack of funding. It's a lack of understanding of what it takes in order to do behavior stuff well. So that's sort of the gap that we're trying to fill. So when I kind of coming back to the story of how we started, um, when I was thinking about like doing the enrichment program and I was like, well, how are other people doing it? I mean, right. you know, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> we all learn from each other, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I got, um, I talked to a couple of people. We got like 45 people together. Love it. <laughs> um, at the Sacramento SPCA and had a couple of days where we just shared best practices. And about half of those folks said, yeah, we'll write some guidelines. I'm like, okay, well, I guess we have a thing now. Um, and then after that, I was like, well, we need to figure out a way to like disseminate this information and then sort of turn into a nonprofit from there. And so that's really what, how it came from just me needing to document um, an appropriate protocol um, and appropriate guidelines, not a protocol because that's too stepwise. Um, right. It's a little bit too rigid. There are places for protocols. Absolutely. Where, where you have a, an S and it is very stepwise. You do this, you put gloves on. <laughs> that just is makes me a little crazy that he doesn't use gloves. You anesthetize the animal or you apply pain meds before you do anything significant. Right. In lots of veterinary medicine and lots of things in behavior, there may be protocols that are like totally appropriate. You try this stepwise, we do it similarly across. And I people. think guidelines, me and Mara were just talking about this before we started recording, but I am a huge proponent of SOPs, standard operating protocols and guidelines, not just in vet med, because for example, something I am surprised now that I know more, there's not a lot of handling guidelines at most veterinary clinics. And I find that amazing and concerning. And so I, as a, as a field, I think we're improving on that because that's a large part of our job. And it's the exact same thing with playgroups. Like Dog playgroups, there's so much going on and it's so much more than let's put a bunch of dogs together, which by the way, listeners, flooding just means exposing a learner, animal or human to what they're afraid of full force. So if the dog is exhibiting signs that they are fearful, you bring the dog closer so they'll get used to it or, or some of these other common myths. And if you're not assessing body language correctly, which is what very commonly happens. You're like the dog's enjoying themselves when actually the dog is exhibiting many signs of overstimulation or fear. And then they get adopted and then I see them and they're afraid of all dogs or they're exhibiting aggressive behaviors because they were forced into situations where they couldn't get away from the thing they're afraid of. So I know Mara mentioned flooding earlier, but I wanted to just mention that. But Guidelines. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. Guidelines and SOPs are amazing because I think like our jobs are so much. Let's be honest, like whether we're in a vet or a shelter, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of emotional baggage, y'all. And not that emotions are important. They are. But when it comes to not having guidelines or SOPs, we're just first off, we're setting up the staff to fail. Because we're literally like, just go wing it and feel like I have pink hair right now. And you might be like, I met a chick with pink hair once. She was a bitch. Uh, I hate all people with pink hair. Like that might be, <laughs> that's not, that's not great. So you might be like, I saw this kind of dog this one time because you're basing it off just what you know versus what is actually happening. Like how to read the dog's body language, how to assess. We can't go over every situation, but we can help to set up these guidelines to provide some structure for the whole staff to first be on the same page 
take the emotional component out of it. This isn't about ego, guys. It's just about, hey, this is happening. This is concerning. Okay, we see this. This is what the guidelines, we have some baseline of what we need to do. So we also feel more competent, which makes us feel more confident. It's just guidelines are the best, you guys. But anyways, yes. So SPA provides amazing guidelines for play groups and other enrichment protocols for for dogs. Yep. Yep. So we're trying to um, encourage folks to not think about playgroup as this whole enrichment strategy, but really like, you know, what are all of the different types of enrichment? Because guess what? (laughs) Most of the dogs that are in shelter care aren't really interested in playing with other dogs. They're really, truly few and far between. And there's something that you said, Tabitha, that, um, you know, once we see the dogs that come out of the other type of play group where they mm-hmm. have been flooded, um, that is part of that, that experience of working with those dogs that are now super reactive on leash. They're super hard to handle. Like, I can't tell you how many dogs I had in private practice from a local shelter who used that other method that they had to spend thousands of dollars with me. And what are we asking those adopters to take on? Like that just, and it's so preventable. So, so, so preventable. So. Cause it's interesting. Cause I, I speak to shelters a lot about enrichment and enrichment's a fun buzzword, right? Like, uh, self-care, which they're very important things, but I know that they're words that we say a lot, but basically, you know, cats need a cat guys, dogs need a dog and they need mental and physical outlets. And just like sometimes my clients, and I'm sure Mars did too, when she was seeing private clients, sometimes I say, your dog actually doesn't enjoy walks. Um, We can work on that in some cases, but they are, then they feel concerned because they're such amazing caregivers and they're like, but my dog will get bored. And I'm like, Hey friend, enrichment is so many things. It's snuffle mats, it's scent walks, it's uh, grooming or petting time that they interacting with them in a way they enjoy. It's clicker training. Oh my God, I can go on and on and on. And all of the things of clicker. Yeah, I and mean, it's been like interesting. Doing novel stuff, absolutely. I, 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 I don't know why I was surprised, but I've been seeing it a lot with clients. But in shelters too, I think sometimes they they also have that perception where the dog loves play. They need to love playing with other dogs or going outside. And even let's say even if that dog does have a learning history where it was positive, which let's be honest, guys, we can't say for sure or create narratives, but. In most cases, many of these dogs weren't adequately socialized and did not have, uh, they either had zero uh, experiences or actually negative experiences. But even let's say they didn't, guys, shelters are filled with tons of stimuli, stressful stimuli. You're throwing them into a new environment and there's a lot going on. And then you're like, play with this other dog. So I'm super chill and extroverted and outgoing. But if you drop me in another country, without my cell phone and said, let's go to a party. I'm going to be like, I watch true crime. I'm not doing this. Uh, (laughs) It's true. Yeah. I mean, and forced interactions. Yeah. And this is so, you know, just let's think about what actual play is. Right. Play is enjoyment on both sides and sort of letting loose. What are the conditions that need to be met for there to be mutual enjoyment on both sides and letting loose trust? How do you build trust? 
through multiple slower interactions. And this is like, and folks who have taken the Spock um, <laughs> program know my, my um, handshake, have some coffee, have lunch, have dinner, go for like a three-day weekend, you know, in the <laughs> mountains um, at an Airbnb, right? We're not and so when we're asking dogs to like play and be and interact with another dog, we're like going from zero to three day weekend at an Airbnb. Nobody does that. I love like that analogy. social species like us, you know, and, you know, great granted dogs are social species, right? They con specific interactions as a species, typical behavior, but you know, you got to build trust. Like, Hey, how's it going? Can I trust you? You're not going to hurt me. Right. Which is the, you know, often this sort of like sniffing, even if they're super social, they'll investigate each other a little bit before they actually start with play type right. behaviors. And then we might not even see a real play session that first time. We might see it in subsequent times, unless it is an adolescent, like a really young puppy. Um, then they might, they're like, I can trust everybody. Just like a little kid's kind of just like walk up to anybody. Are you, hi, are you friendly? It's like, oh my gosh. And both, please. all the animals involved need to be ready. So that's something I see, whether it's inner dog or inner cat aggression or in, in a shelter or in a, like a consult in a home. Sometimes I understand that that dog is eliciting positive body language, more curved body language at like doing kind requests for play with that other dog. But if that other dog is not there yet, or is, is not exhibiting that same body language, which in many cases they aren't, I understand that the thing is neither dog is malicious, of course, but I get that this one dog is like showing a lot of relaxed body language is positive. It, and that's a great like intro dog to start with that dog at a distance, maybe with a uh, management of a fence or, or something else. But to just say this dog loves other dogs. So this dog will be fine that you guys, man, that's not okay. And, and when we use these analogies, I think it helps us understand like my husband's an introvert. You know, if I just threw him into a party, he would just find the cat in a room and close the door or call me. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's okay. And so what happens to your relationship if you do that? So here's the thing is right. that the dogs who, um, and this is from Lindsay Markham's research, the dogs who, um, are forced into those play interactions. What do they think about the humans that force them into that? True. What would your husband, would he go in the next time? Like, sure. He tolerated it. He found a way to tolerate it that first time, but then the next time, would he potentially use aggression towards you of like, hell no, I'm not going in that house. You right? just left me last time and hung out with a bunch of other people and ignored me. Mm -hmm. uh, not, that's not a real story. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. No, Tab I know Tabitha would not do that to her husband, but, she loves but, him too much, but, <laughs> but we, we have in an know, alternative universe when you were not you. <laughs> yeah, he would. I, I mean, we've all been in that kind of situation. And again, I always joke with my, you know, my human clients and I say, most of us are relatively socialized. Uh, and to be fair, I'm not going to assume because that, that isn't a good thing, but. Although that's broken down over the past couple of years, but yeah. 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 So I know. Right. And that's, yeah, I, I went to get coffee the other day and it was super funny because it's my normal place. And I was like, I forgot how to talk. Cause I'm super honest too. Cause I'm so extroverted. I'm like, I fucking forgot how to talk. What's up or how are you? Or, and then they started laughing. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting back to normal. It's fine. It's true. I mean, I was like at the end of last year, it's like, I'm ear tipped at this point. I'm just a cat. <laughs> 
self-awareness, see, self-awareness. I all my social skills. Is important. But I think SPA is so great because they offer, not only do they have educational conferences, but they have online just, you know, one and go webinars, but they also have actual like online learning where they can either come to your shelter or you can do it online and you can get all of this amazing information, which includes because I'm all about problem behavior solving, right? But me and Mara know that part of that, a huge part of that is first understanding the animal uh, before we can even understand the function of the behavior to help prevent, manage, or resolve it. We need to understand what the animal is telling us, which is body language, which again, I, I always joke with people like, guys, I'm like, I know you feel like you know cat body language, your dog body language. And then I'm like, guys, I'm a vet tech. And to be honest with y'all, I didn't learn shit about it. So it's not shade. It's just, I don't think we realize. It's hard to get. Yeah, we don't realize how we, most of us learn on the job. Like you have a gut feeling about why you're uncomfortable with this dog, but you can't describe it. And by the time that the dog is exhibiting those many signs, that dog has been uncomfortable for quite a long time, or they've exhibited again, now that I know more. Um, so once we can say, I feel like the dog is exhibiting this, this, and this versus this dog, I feel unsure about this dog because it's a, this blank breed, or again, these things that aren't accurate. Oh, we're going to have to have a separate podcast <laughs> just on breed stuff. Tabitha. I know. I know. Um, I told y'all we're going to talk a lot. So I, I do want to just more clearly outline our educational oh, offerings. Oh, yes, please do. Because I, that's what has, I'm segueing to. <laughs> I, I think it has changed since the last time you and I kind of really more uh, oh. thoroughly talked about Ooh, it. Tell me, tell me. So, um, and this is just based on my learning. Like I learn and adjust and learn and adjust. Uh, so what we have now um, for an online educational program that is a little over 40 hours of content. Love it. <laughs> and it's a four month program. So originally I was like, oh, people can do this in three months. No, um, it really is four months. So it's about like, you know, I don't know if you remember the Almond Growers Association. They're just like a can a week is all we ask. Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> is, I feel like that commercial. Um, so it's like two hours a week is all we ask. And that should be broken up into little 15, 20 minute, 30 minute segments. So I've broken it, I've chunked all of the learning, and then there's a series of like assessments. Um, so at the beginning, I'm just looking for, you know, you just showing me that you know stuff. Right. Um, and that you can, you know, describe things that you can, you know, look at a, at a video and describe stuff after the lecture and such. Um, and then toward the end is a lot of um, actual demonstration. You have to video yourself doing things. Um, and it's only me who watches it. So. <laughs> but it's important to have a coach. So sometimes it I is. think it could be a little um, intimidating prior because now I actually beg for it. I, I need it. Um, but I think, you know, 10 year ago, me would have maybe been intimidated by sending videos. And now I'm like, how am I supposed to know if I'm doing <laughs> like exactly I right. need coaching? Yeah. I think learning is really important. But part of learning is having a coach and a mentor who is kind and aware of how humans learn, which Mara is to help support you. Because I remember like I took my low stress handling certification. I mean, this was, whew, I'm old. This was quite a long time ago. And this was before fear free or, I mean, unfortunately it was kind of the beginning, the positivity is getting better, but 
Um, there weren't any other colleagues who were doing it with me. So I was just watching Sophia Yin's videos by myself and just practicing on stuffed animals over and over. And, but the thing is, you guys, if I was practicing it wrong over and over again, then that's what you have mapped. Yeah. Yeah. And I email, so I, you know, I, I remember emailing them now I work with them, but I, I emailed them at the time and I said, do you have any workshop? And I'm, so I think actually learning is watching webinars is really important, but it's kind of like, I'll do a fear-free lecture, but then the workshop is hands-on. And then also you have someone to coach you and talk about those weird, like species specific or situations where we need a lot more context. Cause that's another thing with shelters and dogs and anything with behavior, not just the body language, but guys, we have to look at the context. Like, is this mm-hmm. even a safe area to have dogs play? Like, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think that sometimes again, it's not malicious, but I don't think that we're aware of like, cause as behavior con- consultants, I think me and Mara are always like, safety and management is first, mm-hmm. no matter what, yep. uh, safety and management of not just the, the animals, but the humans as well. Mm-hmm. Then we start, of course, working up to like helping them learn and set up situations where they can learn and environments they can learn and all that lovely stuff. But we really need to think of context as well, but yes, that's amazing that you offer that coaching and that must be a lot of work for you. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, so the coaching really, it isn't all that much um, because, you know, I'm looking for progress, not perfection. Right. So right. it's not like coaching you to, can you, can you pretty much like demonstrate that? Great. Can you practically apply or critically think some of these? Yes, totally. Show me, show me that you have a a basic understanding because then after the online, you complete that entire program. And then we have three day in-person handling workshops. Love it. No lecture, like just demo, do, demo, do, demo, do. So first day to your point of setting the people up, we do defensive handling, how to break up a fight, like all of the things with stuffed animals, all of that is first day. So if you get hands on an animal, I want you to, and, and they're fractious for whatever reason. Right. I mean, hopefully we're not putting those in hands of workshop participants, but you never know. Um, we, at, at the workshop that we just did in Pasadena, um, at Fernando's shelter. Love it. Um, Fernando's amazing. We'll have him on the podcast too. <laughs> Good. Um, so and there was a dog who did not want to be returned to kennel. Alligator rolled the whole bit. Uh, like it was, and so they actually did have to employ defensive handling to get the dog back into the into the kennel. And the dog was stressed, right. but not coming out. There wasn't an indication that there was going to be a huge problem. Right. Um, so you know, you, it can sometimes come up when you don't necessarily expect it. No, I um, think that's, and by defensive handling, she just because language, I, yeah, I think some people yeah. might hear that and think like defense, sit on the dog or pull the dog. It's so interesting that a lot of us have been conditioned. And I think it's because punishment is unfortunately very strong in our society with humans, which is why I think it's transferred to animals a lot, but yeah. you might think defensive means I push the dog or I, I, sh- I shut the dog in the kennel and pull the leash. And that's not what we mean by that. We mean uh, basically safety and management. So handle that animal in a way where you may not be able to toss treats to lure them into the kennel or be able to put your hand near their neck from a safety standpoint and how we can handle that situation to keep both parties safe. Yeah. In this case, it was a two handler return to kennel. 
Gotcha. So um, on slip leads and both with the um, uh, slip lead technique. What is that called? I call it slip lead technique. That's not that's not what it's called. You guys. I call <laughs> it the slip and clip. But okay. I, there is. And I think dot um, who also is amazing that you should oh, have yes. on. Um, you guys should talk about cats um, <laughs> is the no touchy clippy. I think is what she calls it. Oh, so yeah. everybody has a different you, thing, but I know. it's a, you guys have another leash attached to, to the a, slip lead yes. so that you can pull it out of the kennel with and not put your hand on their neck. Not put your hand. What do you guys call it in your shelter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're using that technique, because no, thankfully email it's us. popular. Yeah. 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 We'll, um, we'll so figure out a name. The, yeah. As, as low stress as possible for the dog and um, as safe as possible for the people. And that's what we're always striving for. Um, but yeah, in that three day workshop, we're just doing complete hands-on. And so that's why we lead up to that three days hands-on with that entire program where you've spent a lot of time looking at body language so that there's, that everybody's on the same page has that level of learning. So that's our educational program. And it is not just limited to shelter staff. So we have that. I'm always like thrilled to groups of people that I'm always thrilled to have are veterinarians and vet techs. Yes. I'm, I'm lumping them in the same. No, it's okay. <laughs> They're professionals. Sorry. It's o- that's not offensive. Vet it is professionals. okay. Yes. <laughs> um, and animal control officers. Oh, yes. Because I would love to see ACOs have much better um, handling skills. Than and to be what fair, I've, I've worked with ACOs and uh, bless them because again, well, they're put in difficult situations. They're put in super difficult situations and set up with no techniques. Like literally they're thrown like in my experience, they're not given any, they're like, here's a rabies pole, but we're not going to show you how to use it appropriately and practice on things that aren't alive and terrified. Like it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It, it's very unfortunate, but there's, again, I've had a few ACOs I worked with to teach low stress handling and fear-free stuff too. And but I think that should just be a more of a that should be a routine, just part of their their job description to keep everyone. Obviously, we want less stress for everyone. That's a huge motivation for us. But also, I want to keep everyone safe, man. Like, yeah, guys. absolutely. Well, both. I mean, both are the same. Yeah. You know, I have uh, one of my dogs who is lovely. He's highly affiliative, um, but he is not OK with restraint. So, yeah. Um, I have to coach all the vet techs because he has to get a monthly injection. For Communication is important and you know his history. That's good. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'll be there. I'll tell you when to tent, poke, and then we're done. And it's like two minutes. But if they tried to restrain him, it would be a nightmare. Well, nightmare for me because I'd never be able to take him back to the vet. Oh, before. right. <laughs> um, but also a nightmare for them. It would be stressful and it's a nightmare for him. Um, so often, quite often that low stress handling is just, it's, it is so much easier, so I just much faster. Think of it, I think of it as like, basically I want to have a bunch of tools in my, I don't build things guys, but I want to have a bunch of tools in my toolbox. So for example, I was taught one handling technique for cats and one for dogs in tech school. And I'm a technician who handles animals for a living. Um, still amazing to me, but again, we're getting better. I focus on the positive. Um, I'm obviously a little bitter, but I don't use either of those techniques because one, they can escalate stress, but that whole hand around the neck, hand around the dog. And I'm not saying that that is a wrong technique. It's just, that is such a trigger due to most dogs learning histories with it, that 
the thing is, since I have this toolbox of like 20 to 30 other handling techniques, I don't need to use that tool that might escalate stress due to most dogs learning histories. Yeah. Well, and that's where protocols and procedures and guidelines um, of where to begin yes. and then escalate. So like, you know, we have in our guidelines, you start with positive reinforcement always. You're, you have a bait bag on you, you're um, feeding dogs for recall, you're, break, you're trying to minimize the amount of arousal so that things don't tip over. Um, you're constantly doing consent tests to make sure you wanted to play five minutes ago. Do you still want to? So you're checking in with the dog to ask checking them the yeah. and you're, you're, you're also, what we're doing is we're reinforcing what behaviors we want instead of focusing on the behaviors we don't want, which is using punishment-based techniques, which don't help to solve the, it, there's a lot of fallout, like stress, anxiety, aggression, but also it, it doesn't help the behavior we don't want, uh, cause it doesn't address it. So that's what she means by positive reinforcement, because when you, for example, a lot of shelters, I'm sure me and Mara work with like, hey, we're going to just reinforce when there's all four on the floor. We're going to wait till there's all four on the floor for just one second to start because we have to set realistic expectations. And when four, all four on the floor for one second, the door opens because that's if that's reinforcing for the dog. That's the other thing. So many times people are like, the dog loves this. And I'm like, do they don't do? Do they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to ask the question, yes. what is reinforcing for the animal? So, I mean, all of those things, like I would have, would not have put such an emphasis on recalling the dog out of play if I hadn't been a private trainer, if I hadn't had that experience, because um, I was like, okay, so what are the things that we can train that will also help us manage arousal in the shelter setting that will help and adopt, help keep that dog in the yeah. home? Because I saw so many dogs just, and even if they were like, sort of playing or sort of enjoying and both like that arousal would get so high that they would be like, I don't even hear you. You're not around. And they can't so focus. They're they over can't threshold. Focus. Yeah. They're way over threshold. And I can imagine an adopter getting like super frustrated. I have 45 minutes to take you to the dog park in the morning. Right. Cause I got to go to work, dude. Like you want kibble ain't going to happen unless I have a job. Right. That's just realistic. Yeah. So they need to be able to go back to their owner when the owner needs to get, gather them up and take them back home so that they can, you know, go to work when going to work in an office was a thing. <laughs> People still have to go. I'm dealing with as a consultant now, I'm dealing with a lot of clients who need to go into Zooms and don't want their cat or dog all over them, um, which yeah. thankfully is a fairly easy problem to resolve as a behavior consultant with my help. In most cases, every behavior is complex. Asterisk, asterisk, guys, you know. Uh, yeah. But I feel like I have to have this disclaimer every time because I say one thing and people are like, you'll guarantee my behavior. I was like, if any trainer, guys, just heads up, that's a whole nother episode. But if any trainer guarantees behavior, fucking run. Uh, run it's away as fast as you can. Like that is my, a My best Monty flag. Python impression. Run away. Oh, it's a like, huge red flag. No, it's like, no, no. it's like saying drink this tea and your cancer will be cured. And, yeah. and I tell that to my clients all the time, because I can understand from a client's perspective, if you're super frustrated and upset and no one's listening to you and you go on this website and it says behavior guaranteed, just give me your dog for four weeks. Just that there's not a lot of black and white, but that is a constant hundred percent red flag. No one can guarantee behavior. No one magic is not real. Sorry, guys. I know 
what me and Mara do can look like magic with animals sometimes, but it's not. It's just science-based positive reinforcement training. <laughs> yeah, not magical in any in any way. You have a magic wand, but I bring it to <laughs> to consults with my adorable little face and say, magic doesn't exist. This is what we're going to do together and your animal. It's going to be beautiful. And I just break that stereotype right away. Like, hey, this isn't going to be resolved in one day. Just heads up. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Mara and for everything yeah. you do. Can I just, can I just say like two things before? Oh, of course can I you make, can. Can I make plugs? Can I make a plug? Plug away. I was going to ask you to plug. <laughs> She's ahead of it. I love it. Um, so that educational program that I'm talking about, no cost. I mean, it costs us. So we appreciate donations, whether or not you take the program. So, but if you don't have enough money to, you know, take a 40 hour class, we don't take any money from you. So you can enroll, you look at our website and we have a, we have two cohorts per year. So we run two, four month cohorts per year. And I have so many amazing colleagues in the vet veterinarian shelter world reach out to me and ask me, which I love, and ask me, what books can I read to learn more, Tabitha? Or what can I do? This fucking amazing program, guys. Like, I Come can't recommend us. it. Yes. Come They're not a call. Us. It's a fun thing. <laughs> it's a fun thing. Yeah. We're, we try not to be culty. <laughs> um, so, and then, but we do also have uh, a yearly conference. So the yearly, con- the proceeds from the yearly conference help support that free online program. So if you can't afford it, we do have a uh, conference every year. And this year, Tabitha is speaking at it about low stress handling for cats and dogs. Which I know I you guys are surprised. You guys are so surprised <laughs> talking about low stress handling of cats and dogs in the shelter setting. And it's in person in Oakland, California, but also what? virtually, guys. So if you'd like to do it in your jammies because you love that life, that's cool. Or you may not be comfortable traveling la- yet. Respect. But I am so excited to see everyone's beautiful faces in real life in June. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's, and we do have quite a bit of COVID safety protocols. And so we have a limited number of, of seats for the in-person so that we're um, making sure that we can adhere to um, social distancing, whether the actual guidelines are in place, right. we're just going to make sure that folks are really safe. It's right on the waterfront and we'll have, um, you know, doors open. So we'll have lots of breeze way through. And then we're going to require everybody take an antigen test um, each day of the conference so that we know before you show up, you have already tested negative for COVID. So Love we it. have a number of sort of maybe a little over the top um, COVID guidelines, but it makes me feel more comfortable. And I think we want everyone to feel comfortable because I know there's a lot of people uh, that have immune compromised disorders mm-hmm. or lots of other reasons and are not comfortable with maybe how fast things are changing. So If it means like, hey, I have to take a COVID test every day, I'm all about that life. But I mean, if I could do one small thing to help everyone feel more comfortable, why the heck not? Like, I love that. I love that very much. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have some immune compromised folks who are on our volunteer um, team. And so I want to make sure I ran it by them as, um, so do you feel safe with this? What would help you feel more comfortable? So that's the, that's the standard that we went to. So on the docket, um, June 9th is the pre-conference day. 
Um, so that's Michelle Mullins, who is amazing. She's going to talk about, um, dog body language. So, um, if you have any folks who want like those, the basics that haven't, um, well, it's a whole day, so it's not just basics, but, <laughs> um, and then, um, the 10th is when Tabitha is our opening act. <laughs> oh, no pressure guys. <laughs> no pressure. I'll wake um, y'all then, up. It'll be fine. <laughs> then we have, uh, Dr. Pockle, um, who is a veterinary behaviorist, um, both on the 11th and 12th. Um, he's amazing. You guys, about, Chris is yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Um, so he's going to talk about, um, the behavior meds, um, most commonly prescribed in the shelter setting. And then also the impact of trauma on dogs, uh, trauma, behavioral trauma, <laughs> not just the physical. And then we're going to talk about our risk assessment. Um, so myself, Fernando Dot, and Amanda Kowalski and Marissa Martino and, um, and Fernando and I are going to do a managing arousal session. And then, um, we're, uh, Marissa is going to talk about having productive euthanasia discussions in the shelter. Love it. So important setting. So that's even good for um, folks who have to have euthanasia discussions with their private clients. So kind of thinking about um, how to approach that um, in the most compassionate way possible. And if you guys are familiar with Marissa Martino, you know, that sort of compassion um, for people is one of her, one of her things. So, you know, she's, she's really good at that. So invite everybody to check out our website at shelterdogplay.org. Um, so again, that shelterdogplay.org and um, look at the conference and um, either join us in your GMEs um, <laughs> or come to come to Oakland. Um, again, it'll be at Jacqueline and Square, so it's going to be gorgeous. I can't in, wait. In it's like perfect weather, perfect California weather. Yes, that is so great. So, and you can also find Spa on Facebook, Instagram, any other social medias? Just Facebook, Instagram. I think that's it. That's yeah. enough. Trust me. I, I know I should have a TikTok, you guys. It's just, I'm too tired. I can't. No, no, no. I can't do Twitter or TikTok. There's this, we have Neither. boundaries. Boundaries are healthy. You could listen all about that. I think on my first episode where I talk with my therapist friend about it, um, yeah. setting those and why it's important. Well, thank you so much for being here, Mara. Thank you for everything you're doing to help elevate the, not just the well-being of the humans, but also the animals, especially in the shelter setting where I feel like, unfortunately, we're still quite a, quite a ways behind and we need a little help. Um, I, yeah, no, again, we'll get there together. it's the same thing with human. I tell my clients all the time, like, we're just starting to address mental things along with physical things in human medicine. So as a society, we're, we're improving, but I think sometimes shelters are forgotten about not, not the people that work in shelters, but actual shelters are forgotten about as far as, Hey guys, we need resources. We need guidelines. We need help. We're being thrown these situations and yes, we can shame and judge and become bitter and angry and talk shit and do these things that unfortunately aren't very constructive and actually cause toxicity and all these other problems, which we'll talk about in another episode. Uh, But instead, you know, not only when you have guidelines and also support, like colleagues that are there to help you and support you through these hard things, because venting is healthy to an extent, but also problem solving and actually doing what we can to prevent the problem in the future. Like, I know that anytime I work with an animal, whether it's at a vaccine clinic or a veterinary practice or a client's, I am doing all I can to minimize stress and fear for that animal and that human and help 
everyone like build trust. And I sleep so much better at night because I know that. And I know that's deep, but it's helped. It's helped with my compassion fatigue a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's about boundary setting. That really yeah. is about boundary setting is this is as far as I'll take it. Cause this is as far as the animal is able to go. And that's really important. It's really important to uh, be empowered to say no. And then also respond to that animal and say, you said, no, I'm going to respect that. And we're just going to do it another time. What a beautiful quote from Mara to end on. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. I was so enthralled with Mara's interview. I forgot to ask her happy thing. So I know it'll make her happy if you attend Shelter Playgroups Alliance upcoming conference, or please don't hesitate to check out their awesome resources online. And I'm going to be at HSUS Expo all this week. So if any of you happen to be attending Expo this year, please stop by and say hi. I currently have bright pink hair, but I would love to meet you if you are listening and let us know what shelter you're at and what enrichment programs are working for you. Maybe a success story or two, because again, enrichment is the best and we love seeing animals be able to be. I want to see a cat be a cat and I want to see a dog be a dog. It's beautiful. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you at Expo if you guys are there.